Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Corey Rosen, and you are listening to the Story Podcast. And today I have on a super awesome guest, Mr. Sam Yoder. Sam Yoder is a trombonist, guitarist, composer, and recording engineer from Lancaster, PA. He studied music, music recording, technology, and composition at Lebanon Valley College and has been performing, recording, and writing for various projects around the central PA area for the past nine-ish years. Some highlights include playing, recording, and touring with Lancaster's brass band, Big Boy Brass, covering the low brass chair at American Music Theater, and writing slash recording his own original music. Sam, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on, Corey. Of course. Cool. So you have a, a lot of stuff, a lot of talent in you. Where did this all start? Where did the love for music and instruments come come from? Well, I guess like most people around here, I started playing in elementary school and I came up through like the concert band kind of thing, playing trombone. Um, but I tell most people that probably I didn't really get super excited about music until high school. It was kind of later that I kind of started discovering groups like I was really into the Red Hot Chili Peppers and like funk stuff and discovering like uh parliament funkadelic and that kind of stuff when i was mm. in high school that like made me want to learn to play guitar and then i like picked up a guitar i always had a guitar lying around i never really touched it up until that point i was just playing like concert band and and uh orchestra concerts on trombone and it was like something i just kind of did and it was like wasn't a true passion yeah. yet um but then when I started playing guitar and like learning songs that I wanted to learn, like songs by the police and and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, like I mentioned, that I like really got into the playing and wanting to dedicate time to actually getting really good at guitar. And then by the end of high school, I was like, okay, I want to take this further and go to school for music so I can keep growing as a musician. And then I got to school and I discovered, man, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know. Like, I need to put in a lot of time and hone my craft. And it kind of wrapped around. At that point, I was more focusing on guitar. And when I got to college, I was like, realized that there's all this stuff about trombone that I didn't know, all these jazz records that I was learning about. and uh working with other students there and the professors that I was like I need to put some time in on my horn too and practice that and so it's just been for me growing as a musician practicing and that excites me like just feeling the incrementally slowly getting better and growing in my playing so that's kind of my story and how so you mentioned okay, so you mentioned going into college, and that's when you realize, oh wow, there's a there's a lot here to do. Yes. Uh, what all did you do with it? Did it start in college that you started writing and composing, or or have you already begun that previously? Yeah, so I would kind of write stuff and record stuff just in my like janky bedroom setup in in high school on guitar, just like like silly stuff, but. Yeah, it wasn't until I got to college. Um, Lebanon Valley had very nice recording studios and great facility to do that. So I was learning all that stuff in classes and um, with my friends. We were going in and recording and writing music. Um, and then in, also in college, I was really into like jam bands. I was really into Humphreys mm -hmm. McGee and Fish and those kind of things. and. With those groups, there's like a large part of improvisa improvisation that is a big part of that music. So realizing that and like listening to interviews with those bands, they would be like, oh yeah, it's like these jazz records or they would be talking about jazz stuff. And I'm like, okay, I need to go study that stuff as well. If I wanna grow as a improviser or composer and writing music, so all of that. So when did you start actually writing pieces like for like passionate, legitimate, I would show this to other people pieces? That was probably in college. I started recording at a, a small 
uh, band of friends, we would play like jazz fusion kind of stuff and go in and record it. Also, I was taking um, composition lessons with a professor there, Justin Morrell. Um, he's a great guitarist and writes amazing music himself for big bands. And um, so I kind of went in and studied with him and we uh, would write for different groups, different orchestrations. And going through that really taught me a lot about how to write for horn sections and different groups. So I would just go in and write pieces for that. And yeah, and then writing tunes for, for like a jazz combo and that kind of stuff. So let's talk about uh, that stuff, uh, style of arranging. What is what is required to arrange for horns? What are some of your favorite types of arrangements, like uh, horn wise? Like what are you, what uh, what is that called? What what are the? Uh, I, I'm a I graduated from degree. I should know this. How many horns do you do you like to have in in a section? Go, go into that. Um. Well, the group I'm writing for now. This my new group, I Spy, I'm calling it, is a bunch of original music that I've been writing for. It's a three-piece horn section. That's what I mean. Yeah, so so for that, I like to have trombone, a saxophone, and a trumpet. And um writing for a three-piece horn section, I find is is there's so much you can do with it and different uh techniques, I guess. And also utilizing certain instruments together sometimes, um, taking things away, having maybe one instrument play the melody the first time, and then maybe when it comes around again through a certain section of the song, reintroducing other instruments and layering things really adds variety to a horn section and writing for one. What's the biggest horn section you've, wanted, uh, you've ever written for? Uh, that would have probably been in college when we had to write for big bands. Um, but it, also writing for Big Boy Brass, that has been a lot of horns. But sometimes for those arrangements, it's usually like there's like three or four parts, maybe like the trombone part, a couple saxophone parts, and maybe a couple trumpet parts. So it's not like not giant not like eight different horn parts going simultaneously right it's still a lot to think about though yeah because i i i'd argue that uh a three i would hate to uh, organize or write for a three-piece uh setup as opposed to a, a setup like big boy brass because with that such limit limited amount of people you got to really be careful of where you put the melody where you put the harmony and, and do you even have a bass right there well there is a bass and and I spy. Of but, course. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, like ensemble wise, because I know with uh, Big Boy Brass, it's all just horns plus a kit. And I know there's a guitarist. Yeah. Which might be you sometimes. That is me. Uh, but for like a horn piece, I, I, I guess I, sh I should have asked what else do you have in I spy besides just horns? So it's uh, guitar, bass, and drums, and then the three piece horn section. And okay. I'm uh, playing guitar. I would like to incorporate some trombone stuff into it, but that's uh, working that working that in. Um, but yeah, finding different ways to write for this set of instruments that's not just like having people play all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I made an arrangement of the police song "Message in a Bottle," and it kind of starts out the way I started out is the bass is playing the melody, which is something that doesn't happen as often. And the horns are kind of playing pads. They're almost like accompanying with chords, which I think is a cool texture. It's not like, oh, horns play the melody and bass player just plays bass, bass you know? I know. Like, it's nice because um, uh, traditionally it would be the horns are like the main the main melody that they shine through the best, and then you have like wind, woodwinds or whatever as as like pads or whatever. Uh, but inverting it, I I like to do in my, in my music as well, where I have horns as more of of a pad sound because it's so much fuller sounding than and it's louder and would loudness is great uh, for like pad stuff. Yeah, yeah. And P 
people tend to lean towards like whatever is like the loudest or the upfront instrument, but maybe like breaking it down and just having one instrument play or a couple instruments play is really adds range to the music, which is something I like to think a lot about when I'm writing. And it pulls in the audience more to listen to that person because once everything cuts out, they're like, wait a minute, what's happening? Yeah. And they have to pay attention. Like I know uh, Big Boy Brass, whenever you guys always have a breakdown somewhere in your show. Um, and it's it's either, you know, giving the guitarist a solo or giving the drummist a drummist. A drummer, yeah. <laughs> drummer a solo. And um it's all it, and it's great performance wise because then you get to dance around, interact with the audience and cheer on whoever's doing your your uh, solo. Exactly. But like if it's everything all the time going all the all at once, you're just like that's gonna get like Annoying. to be too much yeah. too quickly. So Unlike the movie, it's not always good. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. No, I, I haven't seen it either. I've heard really great things. I've seen clips of it, and I I have to watch it. But um, yeah, yeah, to have something have going full force, you have to horns and uh, brass especially are like little gems that should be added on the top. But you no one wants to listen to a trumpet blare for you know an hour unless you're at like a marching band. But even then, it's like it's and like the, I'm lot. sure the trumpet player doesn't want to blare for. Oh. Sure, they don't uh, want to do that either. Uh, but it's a lot of musicians. I, I feel a lot of beginner musicians don't realize that uh, what you should be aiming for is shining pieces, as opposed to uh, everywhere all at once, forte, 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 uh, because it sounds good, right? Really loud. No, what you should have is something that uh, ebbs and flows. It's a. It's like a. It's like a river, a roller coaster. It goes up and down. It it draws attention. It it uh, blares in your face. Yeah, sure. They, yeah. they can have that moment, and it's it's going to be way greater if you have that at an uh, end of a piece or at the climax of a piece as opposed to in the beginning. Even though sometimes going being brash at the beginning is also really great too. Yeah, something we talked about in school sometimes is in our classes for mixing. They would talk about. If you listen to a mix really loud, you'll perceive it as sounding better instantly because that's just the way our, our, our minds work. When something's loud, we kind of perceive it as being better. But then as soon as you take that same mix and, and turn it down and listen to it at a softer volume, if it sounds bad, then like that's the true judgment of the mix. Like, if it can sound really good and intentional and punchy at like a low level, then it's going to sound good anywhere as opposed to if it only sounds good because it's, it's loud and that's kind of like tricking you. It's kind of deceiving you to think it's good. And maybe that's the same thing with, with orchestration. Like there's this temptation to write as if I have all my parts lined up to have just a block of notes just going the entire time, it's a temptation to just fill things in or fill up all the parts, but maybe just having one or two parts or something simple um, adds dynamic range and gets you out of that mindset to just fill everything up all the time. And it gives people a break that uh, they need. We are humans after all. We can only yeah. hold so much air. That's another thing. Circular breathing only works to a certain extent if you can even do that. Yeah, and and since I play trombone and play guitar, I feel like sometimes people who don't play brass instruments when they write for a horn section or something, the sometimes things can get a little unrealistic mm. in terms of like brass players. It's a very physical thing playing a brass instrument and it's hard on your embouchure and on your lungs, uh, and breath support. Yeah. Breath support, but also trump trombone player, trumpet players, your lips get very tired. Oh yeah, absolutely. If you're, if you're playing for a long time. Forget if you're a French hornist. Yeah, exactly. So, so there needs to be space. You can't have the trumpet player like hitting high C's the entire time or whatever. You just can't need, do to, it. need to give them room. Yeah, and 
I oh got there was something else I wanted to say, but I forgot about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, you're right because you know you don't want to. You have a whole orchestra. That's a tool. You don't have to always use your whole orchestra all the time. You got to know when is the appropriate time to use it. You can, uh, and like you said, it's it moving parts to different parts where you have like the string section play the beginning or and uh, like a verse or a, a motif. Shall we get really com- compository? Exactly. Yeah. And then, uh, then you pick up the horn section, and they get the the motif and a different variation or whatever. And you know, we had the climax theory piece. You have everyone playing in unison, or uh, well, maybe not unison, but in all together. And you have it a really big, grand, dramatic, epic piece. And then you bring it back down just to hush it down and uh, to really, uh, it's giving your audience room to think about what just happened. Right as well as uh, process what's happening now. Exactly. Because you can't process something that's always loud all the time until it's done, and you're not going to remember the entire piece at that point. You're just going to have ringing in your ears. <laughs> yes, that is true. Things, things getting, getting loud. It's, that's uh, something, something to deal with. <laughs> I remember what I was thinking. Uh, back to... Uh, writing for horns uh make sure you know what you're writing and if it's possible make sure you you, uh this is something as a composer that i've been trying to do for a long time i took grass lab uh recently so i know i know how to uh work a trombone a french horn and etc i know it's possible now right uh and it literally isn't that hard if you want to you know youtube is a free resource that everyone knows and loves figure out what what range each instrument has, what's possible, what's physically possible, even, you know, reaching out to uh, other composers and saying, oh, is this possible? Because I know I wrote a symphony and I'm in, I like, I like what sounds good. Every composer does. And some of the things I was doing were not possible. Right. And I didn't know that because I didn't play the instrument. Yeah. It's easy to, to plunk something out on a piano and be like, oh, well. That'll work. It's these, fine. Yeah. These guys will be able to play it. And. Yeah. So I'm curious then, uh, have you run, you said you worked at AMT for a little bit. Did you ever run into some parts that were like, I don't, what was this composer thinking? Um, sometimes that would happen uh, occasionally. Um, there would just be parts kind of written where voice leading gets kind of weird or I, sh- I shouldn't say anything like, because um great piano player who arranges all this stuff andy roberts he does a great job so so there's um yeah he does a great job with all of that but yeah there's sometimes stuff you don't even think about like i know when i write stuff sometimes i'm like oh this chord needs this this note in it so we'll have the trombone play it here or whatever but voice leading is something that is very tricky to do when you have multiple voices like trumpet saxophone and trombone for example if if you're writing chords or something and it's easy to make the voice leading kind of jump around and then when you go to play that part as the instrumentalist if the person who wrote it wasn't paying attention to how the lines actually move across the page they were just filling in kind of notes that needed to be there in the chord to make it Good. make the chord yeah. um the, the melody line will sound disjointed and not really make sense and that's that's something that is a constant practice and it, it's also kind of hard to to do sometimes so yeah i've i've kind of at amt for example that that would happen occasionally but that's that's that happens well, yeah, it's another great point to not only focus on your score uh, vertically, but to focus on your score horizontally as well. Because you might uh, come up with an impossible uh, jump uh, interval that is not friendly to any uh, musician uh, or instrumentalist, and you, you wouldn't even realize it Like if you have like a tritone or whatever, or if you have a leading tone that doesn't resolve to the, the root notes. You know, stuff like that that is not as it's not conducive to uh it's not going to sound right when when you hear it either when you hear it live it might sound right on like a a doll but it's gonna it's gonna be weird because everyone's uh you're gonna hear it you're gonna hear something's off because you know 
you know, once you hear a leading tone, you know, the seventh of a chord, it's gonna it's gotta go up. Unless, you know, something else happens. But Right, exactly. If you have have something that's needs to resolve a certain way, a certain um voice in the chord, like you mentioned, the leading tone, like if if it's something that needs to resolve a certain direction, but if you're not paying attention to that as you're writing these parts and have it jump jump to the opposite direction that feels natural to our ears, then for the person playing it, it, it might feel very disjointed. Like, and it might mess them up because they're thinking, oh, it's, it's, if we're in the key of C and this is a B playing a G chord, I got to go to C. That's, right. that's what they've done their entire lives. Yeah. And yeah, stuff like that is very important to pay attention to. So we, we, uh, have one of your pieces is you did i spy and and uh you have a, a song message in the bottle is this the rendition that of the yeah the one i, yeah. I sent to you yep so let's talk about that it's a you mentioned it's a three-piece horn section with a bass guitar and drums yep and so tell me about the process of, of writing this we met we talked about it a little bit but i want to get a little bit deeper into it okay sure yeah um so this one, I, so sometimes I am just playing guitar and like something comes out and there's that iconic riff in Message in a Bottle where it's the stacked fifths. It's, it's like the opening riff of Message in a Bottle and it's these stacked fifths. And one day I was messing around with my delay pedal and I was playing those fifths and it kind of created this cool rhythmic pattern, which I really enjoy doing. But then I was like, what if we took that riff later in the song? It kind of happens where I take that riff. I was like, what if we took the riff and chopped off one of the eighth notes at the end of the first half of the riff? So it's a measure of seven, eight, and then a measure of four, four. And you can, you can hear in the song that it's it's the classic riff but it, there's like this kind of like off choppy yeah kind yeah. of off kilter kind of thing that was a big part in writing it this that i wanted to focus on um but also giving room for the bass to play the melody and um there's also some reharmonization in there in the chorus i like to add some extra chords and keep the melody in place, but embellish the melody with some harmonies under it that aren't the traditional mel uh, chords that were written for the song. So that's those are some elements I was thinking about while I was arranging this. So with that in mind, let's take a listen to Messenger in a Bottle, arranged by Mr. Sam Yuda. Thank you. 
That was I Spy's rendition of Leases. No, Message in a Bottle. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> you got it. Um, Message in a Bottle by the police originally. Yep. And so that was uh, recorded all live. It was. Yep. And you have a video of that. Yep. There's video on my YouTube channel um, for this EP that I recorded this past year. Um, we set up in a, my friend Corey Paternoster's space, The Upside. Yep, yep. Um, and we set up in there and we did uh, two separate sessions, three songs in each session, and we recorded video and did all the recording. I did all the recording myself and set up the space for the recording session and we, we did it all live. So it was very inspired by things like this snarky puppy concert, like the mm-hmm. live video thing, but you know, it's it's a little smaller and self-produced, and so. And uh, what is your YouTube channel? Uh, you can just find it. It's, it's my name, Sam Yoder. And I wanted to comment on uh, reharmonization because that is something I've really, really been enjoying. Of uh, I don't know if you know Adam Neely at all. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, Adam Neely, for those who don't know, is a, a YouTuber, and he's done several reharmonization reharmonizations of popular songs. Like one, one that I really like is "Hello." by Adele and yeah. he did Thank You Next by Ariana Grande and that is something I really want I really love and I really want to get into more is that like reharmonization because everyone uses you know the the, the four chords uh, you know every every you know the four chords like one five uh, mm-hmm. six four that chord progression sure. over and over again or variations of that chord progression and I really really enjoy 
theory stuff done in uh, something different. Yeah, me too. And so you did that with this song a little bit. Um, do you want to do more of that kind of stuff, or what? What is? What, I know you will have original compositions, but you seem like you also like to do covers. What is? Yeah, I, that's a good exercise to take a song that you already like and maybe you already know it and try reharmonizing it. And there's a lot of different ways people talk about doing reharmonizing, and they're all great ways to do it. And there are so many different ways to do it. Um, I think that a great way to start doing it maybe is to really focus on the melody yeah. and make sure the melody is still intact and find chords that are maybe outside of your diatonic set of chords that include those melody notes and make sense and make sense and start there and then just follow your ear to where things land for example, I, I was commissioned to do a uh, Silent Night piece, and Silent Night is, you know, uh, one, Silent Night, da, 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 da. Uh, it's, you know, one, four, one, five, whatever. Yeah. And it's very, very simple. Mm -hmm. But you can take um, that and uh, Silent Night, Holy, Holy Night, and you can take those cards, uh, sorry for my horrible singing, but you can take those notes and you can find uh if it's b flat that the first one ba -da -da -bum. and my ear training is calling me but i'm pretty sure that's a that's a that'd be a four at the end but you can change that into uh, a two or or a if you really want to get fancy you can turn it into a diminished chord and uh you know make it make it really fancy and really jazzy and stuff like that yeah exactly and go throughout the song make stuff that uh Makes sense. It may it might sound a little weird. That's okay. That's but that's part of the fun of figuring out voice leading and uh, other things among that nature. And it's really easy to take a, a current pop song that is really really simple, and then taking that and reharmonizing re it and making something really really cool. Right. And I mean, I think it's important to have a strong connection to what the song is originally written as too like mm -hmm. it it's easy to be like okay i want to write all these crazy chords and that kind of stuff but make sure it, there's like a understanding of what the original song was before turning it into something completely different because i i know personally i've i've taken stuff and wanted to make it like more complicated right out of the game before even like having a complete grasp of what the original song is. So For sure. that's something something to be said about the input. And not only that, but also uh, feeling and tone of the song in general as well. Mm -hmm. And make sure you have that in mind as well, because uh, stuff like that will completely throw off. Uh, you, you know, have fun making Silent Night into a heavy rock metal song, right? Uh, yeah. It, I'm sure it's been done, but have fun doing it, right? <laughs> um, but I don't know if you've ever heard of the, what is it, Jukebox? The 60s Jukebox, where they, where they uh, take really popular current songs and, like, uh, jukeboxify them. And is that postmodern jukebox? Yeah, 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 postmodern jukebox. Yeah. So, stuff like that. It's, it's great. It's awesome. And if you want to learn more about uh, doing that kind of stuff, take a listen to them, see how they do it. And, you know, the, the best way to learn is to do it yourself. Yeah. And so for you... You had this EP come out. Uh, when was it? It was released in January of this past year, and all the songs were recorded. Um, once recording session was in the spring of 2022, and then the last one was in fall of 2022. And so, is this uh, have some covers? Is there any original material in there as well? Or yeah, so there's one cover, and then the other five songs are all original songs that I wrote, and it's just music I've been writing for a while and kind of had in the back burner because I'm always <laughs> have a lot of stuff going on and all over the place. But yeah, it was cool to like have something that was completely my own to record and work on. 
And so you, all you do is instrumental music for the most part. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, as of now, I'm, I am working on some stuff that I would like to incorporate some singers on for this group. Um, like, I really want this group to, to bring in different musicians and different people in the future going forward. I would really like to experiment having other people bring in their voice and make these songs. Because something that's really cool about the set of songs that I released is the musicians who played on it, they really brought it to life and put it, as much of their like mark on the music. That, like, I wrote it, but like they bring it to life just as much. So, right. And that's something I would like to explore more going forward with this group is maybe bringing in some singers for a song or different instrumentalists and that kind of stuff. So for an instrumental wise, how do you create a concept? What is that uh, composition process like for you? Is it, oh, I, I saw this today and maybe think of this melody or I heard this today and, and how does that work for you? Uh, so for me, it's different. A lot of the time writing, there's different ways that I do it. Um, sometimes a song just like comes comes together, just like playing an acoustic guitar, like I'm playing my acoustic guitar and I discover some chords that I like, how they sound together. And maybe I'm like not opposed to just taking a piece of um, manuscript paper and just writing out like a song and writing out the melody and the chords making kind of a lead sheet but um i've done that but lately i've been writing a lot in logic on my computer and sibelius just the notation software um in logic i've been taking i've been like sampling kind of stuff and like chopping things up and kind of making beats and like that kind of stuff but then kind of fleshing it out more into a composition and sometimes I find like these sounds that I chop up in logic kind of spark some sort of inspiration to take it in some other direction and then I'll kind of make a demo in logic and some of them sound janky like sometimes I make stuff in logic and I'm like this kind of sounds cheesy because the drums kind of suck and but it's it's a demo, it's a song, and I know when real musicians play it, it's gonna it sound, sound better. So um, as I demo stuff out in Logic, I kind of, it's kind of bare bones. It's like maybe the chords and a melody and maybe some drum beat or whatever. But then I'll bring it over to Sibelius, and this is when I kind of like orchestrate it for the band. So, a lot of these songs on this EP, it started out as a demo in Logic. And then I would bring them over to Sibelia. Sometimes you can even export, if you have like MIDI yeah. uh, in Logic, like Melody on like a keyboard or something played into Logic, you can export that out and bring it into Sibelius. And it'll already be there. Be yeah, it'll, it'll be notated. But sometimes it kind of, yeah, you need to adjust things and clean it up. But it's better than starting from scratch, for sure. Right, exactly. So I kind of do that, and then I orchestrate it out to find which instruments are playing what parts during the song. And that has been a great process for me to get something that is kind of a basic demo out into the full song that I can put charts in front of the band and people can read it. Is that the process for forecast, another one of your songs? It is, yes. And so what what is this song specifically about? What is the story behind this one? So this one was exactly like what I just explained. Like I was messing around in logic and I bring in samples of of I really like this guy, The Count. He uh, produces these sample packs, and I've been down downloading those. And you can bring them into Logic and slice them up, whatever. But it like 
I was doing that and I kind of built this beat that was kind of, um, kind of reminded me of like a rainy day, kind of like a mellower thing and created a melody and all of this. And then once I had this demo in Logic, it was only like a, maybe like a 32 bar demo of song in its like most basic form. I took it out of there and went over to Sibelius and kind of arranged it for the band to play it. And yeah, that's it. It kind of turned out something like but, this. Yeah, something like this.
And that was I Spy's forecast. Where can people find you and your band? Where can you find us? Yeah. Uh, well, right now, all that music is up on Spotify and YouTube, like I mentioned. Um, we do have a show coming up uh, at Zotropolis May 6th. So this is going to be like our opening show. We're going to be playing a bunch of this music that's on the EP and um, a few new songs that I've been writing. And yeah, it's going to be a great show. Um, we're also on a bill with another band, uh, Brendan Brisk, I think his name is. But yeah, it, it'll be a show. I'm excited for that. Um, working on booking some other stuff. Um, hoping to do another recording session, maybe before the first half of this year flies by. But it would, yeah, it would be great to... Um, I'm hoping to get another recording session and do more video. It's uh, it's interesting having a band like this, um, trying to market it and get out and get play shows and stuff, and find an audience to connect to. I've I mm. find that's kind of a tricky thing, like to for some a band that's just starting out. So and I'm an instrumentalist band. Exactly. So I'm trying to figure out ways to make content and keep recording and growing on that side before going out and playing shows where, you know, like money's on the line. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like if you're playing a show somewhere, like are people going to show up? But like this is a whole other topic, you know, like it is, yeah. it's uh like maybe produce more content and record more stuff and focus on on the production side and the digital side yeah and, and making live video content and having a library of that stuff before going out and playing shows like yeah do you have any other shows that you want to promote before we go into our final questions for the day uh yeah so Big Boy Brass, we're going to be doing stuff at the TELUS rooftop over the summer. Again, the Sundays. We've been doing that for a while now. Yeah, I want to say like five or six years. Yeah. We're not going to be there every Sunday this every year. Every other, right? I think it's going to be every other or maybe once or twice a month. So that'll be fun. That's yeah. always a fun time. I'll, I'll, I'll talk a bit on that. It's one of the best experiences you'll ever have. I, honestly, as a, a person walking down in Lancaster City, uh, Sunday afternoon, all you'll hear from a, a lot of places around the city, you'll be able to hear the big boy brass just jamming on top of TELUS. And you're like, where is that coming from? It's that TELUS. It's on the rooftop. It, it's a little, a little bit of walking to get up there. But once you get up there, you can stay and enjoy a really great experience. I highly recommend it. Big boy brass. Shout out to Connor Devlin and yeah. uh, all those guys. Yeah. And the cool thing about these past few years of the rooftop, it's kind of become like a community event too. Yeah. So like music, other musicians come out and just like sit in and play with us, which I, I always think is a lot of fun. Like having other horn players or singers or percussionists like come up and play with us. That's always so much fun. Yeah. So getting into the questions I'd like to ask everybody. Um, we kind of talked about this a little bit beforehand. Uh, what, as a instrumentalist and composer, primarily, what is something that you haven't done but you want to do? Um, something I've been wanting to do for a while. I mean, this is kind of, I guess it's music related and all of that. But it's like I've I've been wanting to like move maybe to more of a city area that outside of Lancaster and and find like put myself in uh, a bigger pond. Yeah, a bigger pond. Exactly. So that's, that's something that right now I've been thinking a lot about, like, so that's a whole podcast in of itself. Yeah, uh, exactly. When, when you become a, a big, too big of a fish for your pond or I'm not saying that. Well, but... I'm not, I'm not saying you're <laughs> saying that either, but it's, it's a conversation to have. Right. Um, Lancaster is, Really, our central PA really is, is a rather big pond in and of itself, uh, sure. full of incredible musicians. And you out eventually you're going to outgrow it. I mean, if you do it well, 
you're going to outgrow your your home spot. You're going to have to go to Philly, and then Philly has a certain pond, and you you might outgrow that. Then you get New York, LA, and then you're on the world stage at that point. But it, it's always finding that okay, when am I ready to move? Or um, do if because if you move too quickly, you're gonna you're gonna get eaten. <laughs> right or uh, or whatever yeah. right yeah so that's that's something i've been thinking about um that i want to do eventually um like you mentioned but in the meantime i i really like just keep writing more original material um hoping to get get out and play more shows and record more um yeah and keep growing that way just so S- slowly moving the rock up the hill. <laughs> so out of all all your performances, all the bands you've played in, even at your time in American Music Theater, what's one of the funniest things that's ever happened to you on stage or or one of the worst things? Um there's been some funny things with Big Boy Brass shows. Oh, I'm like, sure. <laughs> like um I'm trying to think of like an ex specific thing. There's been times where we've gotten like rained on like pretty hard. And since we're mostly a brass band, like I play guitar and trombone with Big Boy Brass and I switch back and forth. So there's been shows where like it starts downpouring on us or something and we're outside and I like grab my amp and like all my electric gear and like run it to my car or like into a building. And then I run back out, and everyone's still jamming in the rain, like like nothing's happening. Yeah, like well, nothing's happening. Just they start they're playing Purple Rain, and it's yeah, it's always fun. Raining. Just like jamming out in the rain, that's always fun. Um, instances where like power's gone out, or there's this time in American Music Theater this past season where we were playing a show to like pretty full house of people it's a big theater we do the christmas show there mm-hmm. and all the singers are out on the stage and then all of a sudden just all the lights go out in the entire building oh, <laughs> and <no. laughs> everyone's just like what and the actors are all on stage like what do we do and <laughs> what'd you they, do we sat there we just hung tight and it was like 15 minutes went by and the, the power came back on that those are kind of like funny moments that you didn't never forget because it's just like what <laughs> yeah yeah i'm surprised no one panicked when the lights went out because that's what i would do mm-hmm. um so what is one of the, one of the if you could give anybody any musician one piece of advice what would it be hmm. just uh Try not to lose focus of what brings you, that lights the fire within you to be inspired to make music and keep keep sight of that because it's easy to lose sight of that kind of stuff when, especially with social media and all of that, like you see your peers maybe doing one thing and this person doing that thing. And you're like, Oh, I need to do this. Oh, I need to do that. Oh, I need to do this. And I don't know, stay, stay true to what actually makes you feel fulfilled and stay principled. Yeah. Yeah, And not try to just, just do something just to do it because everyone else is doing it or yeah, it's important to, to stay inspired and, Keep that spark lit. I know, like for me, sometimes it's it's easy to get not motivated, and like I think that's an important thing as a musician is to keep keep that fire lit. And so, the follow up to that question, and then this will be the last one. What is your fire, your spark? Um, to for me, it's to see that incremental growth and just like mm-hmm. keep building my craft like i love practicing instruments different instruments trombone and guitar mainly um and being able to play certain songs or 
um, certain pieces that I couldn't play before or, or working on techniques. That's very fulfilling to me. And also creating something like writing music and because I could like lock myself in a room and and practice long tones on the trombone for like hours. More but, power to you on that one. But it's like after I do that, I'm like, man, I should have just spent that time writing music. So that's finding that balance of creating and also practicing. Um, yeah, that being self-motivated to do that is keeps keeps my fire lit. Like that's awesome because I know a lot of people that can't stand practicing and they should learn a lot from you. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I I love practicing. It's like one of my favorite things. So if you want to check out more of Sam Yoder and all the things he does, you can check out his website, samyodermusic.com. That's S-A-M-Y-O-D-E-R music.com. You can have, he has a few shows coming up with Big Boy Brass and his I Spy. When was that again? March, May? May, May 6th. Saturday, May 6th. Um, At a really great, a really great venue. Uh, they, it used to be a cinema house, and then they ripped out a lot of the cinema seats and put in couches. And so it's a really... Really great spot to hang out, and y'all should go to that one for sure. My name is Corey Rose, and this has been the Story Podcast. If you want to find out more about me and what I do, you can follow us, like, subscribe, comment, especially if you really enjoyed the show. Please be sure to do that. You can find out more about me and the podcast at CoreyRosenProductions.com. That's C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N Productions.com. You can find all the projects I'm working on, including this podcast and all 132 guests that I've had on before him. Nice. And you can, if you want to check out more of our episodes and see what's who's coming up, please be sure to, like I said, follow. Like us, you'll find out who's coming up next. And we have really cool people coming up next in this week. We have tomorrow, we have Jeff Penninger, who is the owner of the uh, PA Musicians Pipeline TV show up north. And he does a kind of uh, late night show where they interview musicians and they play the live set on TV so, for okay. the central PA region. And so that's really cool. I'm really excited to talk to him. And this Friday, we have Stephen Courtney again returning. He is a, uh, you know about Stephen Courtney? I don't think so. He's a, uh, a renowned children music artist. He has five songs on Sesame Street. Oh, cool. And he has, he had had his own award winning uh, TV show as well, the Stephen the Stephen Courtney channel. So I'm excited to continue his story that day. That's Friday, and then Saturday I have Adam Yarger, uh, 2 p.m. That's going to be a country singer from around the area. He's done some incredible stuff with incredible people, and is going places. So I'm really excited to talk to him. And then next Sunday we have Big Mama Music coming over. She is a impressionistic, uh, impressionistic musician. So she dresses up in old style fat and old style fashion of the time and sings the sings the songs of the 60s 50s and and, and whatever that uh, 70s 80s that she wants to do and she dresses up like the time period and gives you a real snapshot of the time of that music so i'm really excited to see where she gets all those dresses from <laughs> with all that said i hope i with all that said i hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the day and we will see you guys later bye bye